story of Thomas that David read for us. In fact, when uh, we were trying to name the church plant that we did in, in Abilene, Texas, I tried to convince our planting team to call it St. Thomas United Methodist Church because I love the fact that Thomas is not afraid to ask a question and Thomas is not afraid to express his doubt of what his friends are saying. I don't know if you noticed, but he doesn't doubt Jesus. He doubts his friends. And I think that's a normal thing, right? Like, if one of my friends were to tell me something absolutely crazy that I'd never experienced before in my life, and that they had never experienced before, and that seemed unrealistic, I don't think it would be unreasonable for me to question what they're saying. And I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus never condemns him for asking a question and expressing a doubt. All Jesus says is, hey, it's more blessed are the people who can believe without ever seeing. And he doesn't say that you aren't blessed if you have to see to believe. He just says you're more blessed if you can believe without seeing. And so we are a church that welcomes questions. That's one of the great things about this denomination. We, like, ride the middle line, ride or die, right down the middle, um, taking flaming arrows from both sides, and we are willing and open to express our questions and our concerns, our theological issues. Like, that's all such good stuff. And there are denominations who aren't like that. I'm, like David was talking about, his friend who was given trite answers and just really staunch, like, well, this is what the Bible says, so you believe it. Well, what if that's hard to do for some people? We want to make room for all of that. And so, last week... Um, at the end of the service, we passed, or during the service, we passed around index cards and told people, write down your questions, your biblical questions, your theological questions, your questions about Methodism, your questions about other denominations, and I'll do my best to answer them. Now, here's the thing. I am not an expert on all things biblical or theological. I do have a lot of biblical and theological training. Our denomination has said, Ross... The church that you serve, you are the theologian in residence at that place. But I am totally sure that there are people in this room who are much smarter than me and much more learned than me. And so this is kind of a communal conversation. You can disagree with me. I'm open to that. I don't claim to know all of the answers and have all of the truth. I claim to be a person who seeks answers and seeks truth but I also claim to be a person who likes really good questions and trying to ask really good questions. So I'm just going to go through some of these cards. I've grouped some of them together. I mean, we don't have time, right? And so I've grouped some of them together to try to answer cluster questions. But I also want to leave time for you to ask questions just from the audience, uh, Donahue style. Anybody remember that old talk show I used to watch when I was homesick from school? Um, and so... Uh, I'm just going to jump off. This first one says, you've been at Morningstar six months now. What one aspect slash problem slash item slash quality concerns you most and what one aspect slash quality slash et cetera encourages you most? That's a great question, and I am going to answer that, but I'm going to wait until the end to answer that question because I want to kind of wrap up with that, with that one. Um, so then, I'm going to get to that lid. That's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, I'm not stumped. I can answer it. I don't owe anybody a dollar. I don't have that much money. I heard Vern's voice and I was like, no, we're not, I'm not doing that. 
Uh, okay, so this one is actually a complaint. Um, I don't answer anonymous complaints, by the way. Um, here's a good one. What can be done to make the church more friendly to newcomers? So this is a, a critique of our church that I've heard uh, multiple times. That it's like uh, this church is very welcoming in the way that you welcome somebody, the way you're welcome to somebody else's family reunion. So here's the way we become better at that. If you're a member of this church, be more welcoming. If you're the person who wrote this, be more welcoming, right? Like, there are some systems that we don't have in place in a really strong, tangible way that we're working on. Like, I think it would be awesome if we had greeters at the top parking lot and the bottom parking lot and at the doors that you get out of your car at the top parking lot. I'm going to use me as an example. And I'm walking out of my truck, and I'm a new person, and Stuart walks up to me and says, Hey, I don't think I recognize you. My name's Stuart. What's your name? And I say, oh, my name's Ross. Oh, hey, w- welcome here. This guy at the next parking lot, or this lady at the next parking lot, her name is Michelle. She's going to greet you when you get down there. And when I walk past, he grabs a walkie-talkie and says, hey, Michelle, the guy coming down in the vest, his name is Ross. <laughs> and so, so I get down there, and Michelle says, hey, Ross, I'm glad you're here. Stuart told me your name on this walkie-talkie, and I just wanted to make sure that you feel welcome that you're here. The person you meet at the door is going to be named Sean, and Sean's going to be able to help you get to anything you need. Hey, Sean, Ross is coming your way. And so Sean says, hey, Ross, how's it going? Michelle told me that you were coming this way, and uh, I just want to be able to answer any questions and show you anywhere. To... I think that would be awesome, don't you? So if you, if you think that would be cool, let's do that. Right? Like, it just takes people saying, like, yeah, let, let's do this thing. So that's how we become a more welcoming church, is we just be more welcoming. Um, how will a small group enrich my life? I was ready for this one. I did read these beforehand, by the way. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to preach, I promise. Not very much, anyway. My Bible won't turn there. So Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 43, says this, Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Yes, they were communists. Day 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 by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And this, listen to this. And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. They broke bread in their homes. They fellowshiped together. They prayed together. They shared their concerns together. How will a small group enrich your lives? Being part of a small group is being part of the way church was meant to be in the early time, early history of our church. It enriches your life because you're in relationship with other people. You can share your concerns with other people. You can help other people. You break bread together, and it changes your life. Just that kind of fellowship. I can't have enough friends. I don't know anybody who's like, I'm done. My limit of friends has been met. I will not make any more friends the rest of my life. Nobody does that. Your life is enriched through relationships. So that's how a small group will enrich your life. 
Um, do you agree? Not answering. That's the question. Do you agree? Question mark. Never going to answer a question that I don't actually know the question to. So then they continue on. What is God? How does God know every sparrow in the woods? My theory, God's presence is gravity. It is universal. I like the idea that God's presence is something that's unseen and powerful that way. I don't think it's gravity. The Bible tells us that God is love. And I don't know if that means God actually is love, or if that's a characteristic of God. But I love that idea that God is love. And the reason God knows every sparrow in the woods, in my opinion, is because God loves every sparrow in the woods. And so, um, I probably would owe a dollar on that one if a kid asked me. But As Christians, how can we change being known for what we are against rather than known for what we are for and what we do? So I think this is probably in reference to my sermon last week. If you don't know this, uh, if you ever come on Saturday at 5.33, that sermon is different than the 8.15 sermon, which is different from the 9.40 sermon, which is different from the 11.15 sermon. Sean laughs about how they change throughout. It's the same general point, but the way I get to that point varies based on the energy I'm getting back from the crowd and the conversation that I have with God in my head while I'm preaching. And so, um, starting at this service last week, I got on this kick of talking about how we as Christians are known for what we're against more than what we are for, and that I think that's a real problem. And so I think this is in reference to that. So here's my answer. Who cares what color Starbucks cups are? Like, really, who gives uh, about that? Like, if the Starbucks cup is purple and it's Christmas time... Who cares? And if Target says Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas, by the way, they're right. Because the days leading up to Christmas are Advent. They are the holy days, Happy Holy Days. Christmas is a 12-day season starting December 25th. That's just so you can win a Trivial Pursuit thing sometime. But (laughs) who cares? If that affected my relationship with Jesus in any way, the color of the cups at Starbucks or what they're saying to me at Target, if that affected my relationship with Jesus in any way, you need to be looking for a new pastor. We allow the culture wars to set us against things instead of showing what we are for, which is grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness and hope and goodwill and acts of kindness That's what we're for. So let's just do that and stop with the Facebook arguing and stop with all of that other stuff. Like, let's just be for things and not worry so much about what we're against. I think that's how we do that. Stay off of Facebook. (laughs) Explain the sin that cannot be forgiven. So one place in Scripture, it says that the sin that cannot be forgiven is blasphemy. Blasphemy is acting as if you are God. And so um, the way that I think about this is blasphemy is just turning your back on God and saying, I don't need you, I don't want you, I'm done, like I, I am as powerful as you, and walking away. But here's the thing. God's grace always is there. It's always open. And so because I'm a 
Arminian Wesleyan, I believe in free will, I believe there's always, always, always the opportunity to repent and go back. But there is a time that people just decide, like, I don't want that, and I'm not going to do that, and they choose to be unforgiven. It's not that God won't forgive them. They choose to be unforgiven. So that's my take on that. I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's my take on it. What is the difference between the Lutheran and Methodist religion? So let me do a little vocabulary lesson right now. Religions are about worshiping different gods. Denominations are about distinctive theological differences. So the Lutheran church and the Methodist church are the same religion. The Roman Catholic church and the Methodist church are the same religion. That's a weird thing that happens in Las Cruces that I've never experienced anywhere else in my life where people will say, well, I'm a Christian and they're Catholics. Or Catholics will say, I'm a Catholic, you're a Christian. What the heck? Like, we all play on the same team. We just play different positions. They play tight end, and we play left uh, strong side linebacker. Like, we play the same position on different teams. That's how that works. So just, just a clarification. The Lutheran Church and the Methodist Church are different denominations, not different religions. But I, I get what the point of the question is. So a little church history for you. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Martin Luther? Martin Luther is who the Lutheran church is named after. So Martin Luther was a Catholic, Roman Catholic priest. And he did not like some of the things that were happening in the Roman Catholic church in their practice of their belief and also in just in their basic theology. And so he wrote on a piece of paper all of his differences. And he took that piece of paper and he nailed them to a door, a church door. And that's called the protest. So have you ever heard the word Protestant church? A Protestant church comes out of the protest of Martin Luther. Now him nailing the thing to the door wasn't the protest in and of itself. Like people nailed things to church doors all the time because that was like the community bulletin board. Like when you go to a coffee shop and there's the bulletin board with all the stuff on it, basically that's what the church door was. So him nailing the thing to the door wasn't the issue. It was the fact that he said... I am Martin Luther, and these are the disagreements that I have, and I don't care who sees it, I want everybody to know. That was the protest. So, if you think of a tree, the trunk of the tree and the roots of it are Christianity. So there was a split between the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church, or the Russian Orthodox Church. So we're going to follow this split to the Catholic side. So then there was another split between Martin Luther and and the Catholic Church. Now off of Luther's branch comes the, the Presbyterian Church and the Baptist Church and a bunch of other churches. Off of the Catholic Church came another split when the Church of England was formed, the Anglican Church. Anybody know why the Church of England was formed? So Henry VIII could get a divorce. So Martin Luther split from the Catholic Church for theological reasons. Henry VIII split from the Catholic Church for theological reasons. And John Wesley was an Anglican priest. He was part of the theological reason split, right? And so John Wesley started talking about his theology, and he was a practical theologian. He was mostly concerned about the method of living out your faith. 
And so uh, he gathered some friends around, and they started saying, these are our methods, this is the way we do this. And then people started making fun of them and would say, oh, you're the Methodist. And he would say, like, oh, yeah, we'll take that name on, we'll be called that. And so that's how the Methodist church got started. So there's the history of it. The theological differences are this. Um, the offshoot that Luther started, that part of theology is called Reformed Theology. The biggest difference to, that matters to me anyway in Reformed Theology and Arminian Wesleyan Theology, which is what we are, comes down to predestination and free will. I believe in free will all the way through. So you won't hear me say God's plan for my life was because I think God's plan for my life is to love God and enjoy God forever. I think that I choose where I'm going and God goes with me on that path. Michelle and I have a friend named Ellen who was accepted to, I think, five different physical therapy schools. And a few years ago, she was having dinner at our house and she said, I just don't know which school to go to. I, and, and I said, well, like, what, what are you trying to make the decision on? She goes, I don't know which one God wants me to go to. And I said, you got accepted to five schools? What a privilege to get to choose between five schools. I think God is sitting back and saying, pick one. Let's go. I'll go with you. And you could see relief on her face like, oh, God doesn't, God's just going to be with me, like whichever, whichever one I take. And, and, and so I believe in free will. I, I believe that God is with us. I believe that we can make good choices and we can make get bad choices and God is with us in those things. Uh, that's, those are the main differences. But here's the great thing. I, I can't speak much to the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, so the church right up the hill here. Uh, is a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. I, I, I can't speak much about that except that I know it's very, very conservative. More conservative, I, I think, than even the Southern Baptist Church. Um, but the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, and the United Methodist Church are in full communion with one another. So if Jared at Peace Lutheran, if I invited him to come up here and preach and it happened to be a communion Sunday, he could officiate our communion service. His credentials carry over into our denomination. And if I were down there preaching and they were doing communion, I could officiate their communion service. We are in full communion together. And it would be easy for him to become a Methodist pastor or me to become a Lutheran pastor. So we're, we're good friends with the Lutherans, even though we have some dis disagreements on that sort of thing. The same person said, why only communion once a month? I don't know. Modern Methodist history says we do communion once a month. First Sunday of every month. If it were up to me, we would do it every single Sunday. John Wesley said, whenever you gather together, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so, I mean, if it were me making the choice, and I guess I could just independently make it, we would have communion every single Sunday. Here's the complaint that I would get. First complaint. And I'll bet somebody in here right now is already thinking this. So I'm about to argue with you, even though you haven't told me. Well, it loses its meaning. If you do it that many times, it loses its meaning. My response is, does it ever lose its meaning when your kids tell you that they love you? Does it ever lose its meaning when your mom or dad tell you that they love you? It doesn't lose its meaning. And, and if it loses its meaning when you tell somebody that you love them, that's on you. I don't think God ever gets tired of us saying, I love you. 
And I don't think, I know I never get tired of seeing the representation that God loves me. So that, that's my response. I, I don't know why, why, I don't know how that happened in the Methodist church that we got into that once a month thing. I'm going to pause. We have about 10 minutes left. Anybody have questions that they want answered? What's the meaning of cocaine? I don't know. I don't know. If I could understand everything I see on Twitter, I'd be really dumb probably. Anybody else? Yes, Marty. The video? Stuart. Anybody else? Yes. Uh, I teach confirmation, and so there's still things I even learn when I'm going through that sometimes. So, like, things like the quadrilateral seem so vital to our, like, belief system. How come we don't necessarily hear about that more? Does that make sense? Because it's so nerdy, it's hard to preach about, I think. <laughs> he wants to know about the quadrilateral and why we don't hear about it more. I think I talk about it maybe in like a roundabout way. So the quadrilateral is one of like the main emphases of um, our church, of our denomination. And so the quadrilateral is scripture is the foundation. And then anybody gone through confirmation? What comes after scripture? I'm testing the preacher's daughter. Reason. Experience. That's how we do it at our house. <laughs> Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. So that's what we call the quadrilateral. And so if you have an issue in your life, the first place you go is to Scripture. And then the way you interpret the Scripture is through reason, tradition, and experience. And it's this beautiful thing that opens our, our, our faith up to being able to use logic and to be able to use like things we've been taught other, from other places. And to help us understand life and to find truth. So that's what the quadrilateral is. Thanks for the softball. But listen for it um, in my preaching. Because I hope I talk about it some. Yes. I won't hate you. So there were a lot of questions in this stack about heaven and hell and who's going to be there. And we don't know the furnishings of heaven and we don't know the temperature of hell, right? Like, we just don't. Um, and I don't really know the answer to your question. To me, like, I talk more about heaven here on earth. Because we pray this prayer almost every week. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And scripture tells us in Revelation that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That heaven and earth will collide and there will be this new kind of creation that happens. And so I don't worry so much about what heaven is going to be like, except I want to point it out when I see it. You know, so like when I see a family reconcile and forgiveness happen, I point that out. With kids, if you can see, like, they're not getting along, and then all of a sudden they're able to forgive each other, that looks like heaven. 
that smells like Jesus is one of the things that I used to say to the girls a lot that they were like, that's dumb, Dad. But, um, um, but you know, like the streets of gold thing, I think that's an analogy to tell us the things that we find most precious here on earth are not precious at all in heaven. Like, it's just like the gravel that you pave the roads with. The things that we chase after all the time, like we're wanting, man, how amazing would it be? The streets are paved with gold. Everybody's going to be rich. No, like that stuff matters so little that it's just like the dirt that you pave the road with. That's the way I think about that. Um, Who's going to be in heaven? Who's going to be in hell? I think we're going to be super duper surprised with who we see in heaven. I think there are going to be people there that you're going to be like, what? You, you, and they're going to be like, oh, you, you know what I mean? It's, I, I just think it's going to be such a surprise because God forgives, forgives, and forgives. The things that we think are unforgivable, God forgives. C.S. Lewis, here, here's, here, here, here's an answer to the question. Read the Chronicles of Narnia with your kids. If you have not read the Chronicles of Narnia, read them. It doesn't matter if you're 8 years old or you're 88 years old. Read the Chronicles of Narnia. It's not perfect theology, but it's really, really good theology. And the very last book of the Chronicles of Narnia is called The Last Battle. And C.S. Lewis lays out this beautiful image of hell. Yes, I said a beautiful image of hell. And and C.S. Lewis's estimation... God is so loving and forgiving that hell has a door that's locked on the inside. And people make a decision to stay or to go. So, I'm being shown the red card. By the way, if you don't know this, I'm trying to shorten my preaching down some. And so, I've told Sean, show me a yellow card when I've got ten minutes left. Show me a red card, what it means, shut up. (laughs) And so, I've been shown the red card... But I have one more thing I need to say. I, I said I would answer this question. You've been at Morningstar six months now. What, what one thing uh, concerns you most and what thing encourages you most? I'm going to start with the positive part. The thing that encourages me most is that this is a really weird church. And it's weird in a lot of different ways. Like, you're weird. I say that in all love and honesty. Like, God loves the weirdos. Right, Shannon? And so... Um, <laughs> Well, he already had his fist up. I wasn't calling him a weirdo. He had his fist up. And so um, I, love, I love that. We're, we're weird people in a lot of different ways. Like, um, and then um, I love that. But it's a weird church in that, did you know, uh, if, if this was all that we were, we're a small congregation. But did you know that counting last night and counting the next service, there will be somewhere between 350 and 400 people that show up at this church this weekend. And if you haven't experienced an entire weekend at Morningstar, you should come to all four services in one weekend so that you can see how many people come in and out of this place. And yes, it's a marathon, but it's a beautiful marathon to run. And, and, um, but we have this feel of like we're a small community church because of us in this room. Like, you probably only come to this service. But um, at the same time, there, we are one of the five largest United Methodist churches in New Mexico. That tells you how large Methodist churches are in New Mexico, for one thing. But, 
but we are one of the five largest churches in the state of Methodist churches in the state of New Mexico. We're not a small church. So the back of the store, so to speak, the things that happen behind the curtain, we have to figure out how to ha- make them work in a big church kind of way. And the things that happen out in front, we want to be able to keep it where it feels intimate and, and communal, right? And it's a real challenge. So that's one of the best things that I've found about this church. The most thing that is the hardest for me to deal with, the hardest thing for me to deal with at the, this church, and, and I hesitate to say it but because I don't want you to think that this is what I talk about all the time, but our church budget is a struggle for me. And so um, the budget when I got here was a lot higher than I felt like it needed to be. We've worked really, really hard. Tuesday night, I'm planning to present to the board a budget that I am proud of. That Stuart and I with Kathy and and a few other people over the last few months have worked really, really hard on to cut down and cut down and cut down to the point to where we've got it, to where I I think that I'm very confident that we will finish 2018 in the black. And if I do, somebody needs to get ready to spot me because I'm going to try to do back handsprings down the middle aisle. <laughs> um, so we're working on, starting this month, um, a strategic three-month strategic plan, or three-year strategic plan, that will align our purpose, mission, and vision. And everything we do here at this church will fit within those things. And so some things are going to get cut and lost, that don't align within the purpose, mission, and vision of the church. And some things are going to be added or replaced. But in three years, this church should be thriving financially and ministerially to the point to where we're struggling to have this room contain all of us. And so that's the goal moving forward, is to align all of that stuff, get our budget in order. That's that's it. Like, that's not even a big deal, right? Like, it's not discouraging. It's like, here's an opportunity to work hard to improve some things. So that's, that's the work that we're doing right now. I, I, have a, I have a quick announcement that I want to make along those lines. So one of the ways we did that is we cut the, um, the salaries that this church pays by over 10% from last year. And we did it without anybody losing any pay, and we did it without anybody getting fired or laid off. And so what would happen is when somebody would quit, we would just move somebody over and add to their job description and give them a small raise. And so, for example, last week was Diana Goss's last week to work at the church. She's in Austin right now. Update on Diana. She's in Austin right now, is working on getting settled into a new place and building a new community there. But we're, the, the feet that we're trying to fill Diana's shoes with are Kathy Nagley Delgado's feet. And so... Kathy had been here at the church doing, helping with pastoral care. She's still going to do those things, but she's also now our office manager. And when I say office manager, she bosses me around. <laughs> like the other day we were in a meeting and she goes, okay, by my watch it says it's 5 o'clock. You have a family. Let's go home. And I was like, I'm, I'm in love. Like, this is amazing. I, somebody who's going to boss me around and make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So, Kathy, thank you for a great week already. And, but that's one, of, that's one of the ways that we're working at, at managing the finances here at the church. And so she's the office manager. Together, she and I are going to make sure it's a lot harder for money to go out, you know, and, and be spent on things. And so uh, it may be that Kathy and I need counseling sessions because the staff may be like, well, they won't let us spend anything. And so, anyway.